All right. Welcome to the Global Math Department, everyone. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Farshid Safi about developing mathematical literacy through equitable teaching practices. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. Lots of familiar uh, names here tonight, but also some new names as well. And um, if you want to share what your role is, whether you're a classroom teacher uh, or uh, I guess this session is actually a K-16 session. So whether you're uh, lower grades, middle grades, upper grades or higher education. Welcome, everyone. Familiar faces and familiar names. It's good to see them. All right. Glad to have so many people here. Um, and we definitely are global because uh, we definitely have somebody here I saw from the Philippines. So welcome, everyone. And, of course, we have our East Coast people who are up at 9 o'clock and probably very, very tired. So before I introduce our speaker, I'd like to explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available about 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link you used to get here tonight. The global math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the presentation. All right, tonight our speaker is Dr. Farshid Safi. Dr. Safi is an associate professor of mathematics education in the School of Teacher Education at the University of Central Florida. His professional experiences include being a former high school mathematics teacher and serving as a university teacher educator, working with K-12 teachers and school districts for the last 20 plus years in the U.S. and Canada. His research focuses on developing students' and teachers' understanding of mathematics in coherent, conceptual, and connected ways with an emphasis on equitable teaching practices. He successfully engages with elementary and secondary teachers nationally and internationally in professional development efforts. Dr. Safi frequently collaborates with colleagues on books, book chapters, and journal articles focused on sense-making and mathematical literacy through a multidisciplinary approach. And I will turn the presentation over to Dr. Safi. Thank you so much. It's great to be with all of you. Again, my name is Farshid Safi. I'm a mathematics educator at the University of Central Florida. And it is my pleasure to have this opportunity to talk to all of you about developing mathematical literacy through equitable teaching practices. And we're going to talk a lot about people, valuing people. And to start off with, that's why you see the picture with the people. Um, and this is a group of my uh, prospective teachers just from a couple of years ago and the joy that they bring and the brilliance that they have and the ways that we help each other grow. 
as, as we go through this, at any point uh, you see at the bottom right, uh, you see my Twitter handle, at Farshid Safi. That one was not taken. And so I grabbed that one uh, a few years ago. And also I want you to know that uh, you also have my name written down in Persian, which is my first language. So um, language matters. So when we talk about equitable teaching practices, I wanna make sure you know that. So on the left-hand side of the slides that you have, um, you can see how I have the banner and the banner is meant to signify the fact that the um, people matter, the cultures matter, our history matters, the art, the traditions, the architecture, the beauty that is inherent and all around us um, matters. And the way to actually engage uh, our students and uh, in equitable teaching practices then um, it involves valuing people. So to continue with, um, I want you to see that today is a very special date mathematically. So uh, I have a good colleague of mine who I've been uh, collaborating with for a few years, Siddhi Desai, and she sort of at 2.22 at Eastern time in the US on this uh, 22nd day of the second month of 2022, then um, she sent me this message because it's just twos galore. And um, she's also on the uh, right-hand side where we collaborated and co-taught a class for prospective elementary teachers. So to talk about equitable teaching practices, we have to think about intersections because all too often what we do is we focus on mathematical content. What math do our students need to know? What are some effective methods? What are these pedagogical practices that we engage in? And then we want to, and we are committed to being um, involved in being inclusive as educators, uh, attending to issues related to diversity, to equity and to justice. And so it's also a chance to talk about Jedi's because Jedi's and Star Wars are just cool. And, uh, but the commitment to justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion is a personal and professional commitment for many of us. And then simultaneously, we also are committed to seeing how technology can play a role and integrating that into our instruction. I saw a couple of colleagues that are on the webinar tonight and they do this beautifully. So as you engage with your colleagues in the chat or, or when you watch this, um, grow in community. That's how all of us learn. And also how do we engage in formative assessment? Because we are committed, but all too often we focus on any one of these rather than intersectionality uh, of all of them. But I wanna hear from you. So the first thing I'd like for you to do is in the chat, Think back to when you were first learning how to drive or teaching someone how to drive. What considerations did you have? What did you have to think about? Put that in the chat for us. I see people are pointing out uh, rule number one, remain calm, absolutely. How terrified do you may have been that something could go wrong? 
a little like teaching, right? We plan and then we hope for the best. We will talk more about that. Needing to worry about other drivers. Sometimes it is what we do, but a lot of times it's also what is happening around us. Patience or lack thereof, as someone pointed out. Let me try to put it into a little larger format so you can see this better. Someone put uh, that when learning to drive, they had to, um, you had to have someone teach you and then start easy and then make, uh, make progress. Well, the picture that you have on the right is me and my daughter. And uh, when I'm trying to learn from her and the challenges that exist in learning how to drive, there are so many things that we have to consider. So I wanna use this as an analogy. So simultaneously, I'm showing you a few pictures. And so look at everything that we need to attend to. Mary put in the chat, where you look matters. If you look too closely at your car, you don't stay straight, look down the road. So simultaneously, if you look at the bottom left, you have to look behind you. You have to be aware of your surroundings, but you also have to be looking ahead. You have to know what you're doing, but you also have to have a sense of where are you heading? Hmm. But then we have all these gadgets, right? All this technology that allows us to think through and gives us all this information that is supposed to inform us. It's supposed to help us assess. What are we doing? How could we be doing it differently? And then we're supposed to put that into practice, into the way that we engage in what we're doing immediately. Kind of like formative assessment. But we also have our GPS. It says, be aware of this. It might take you this long. Well, but what doesn't it ask us? What doesn't your GPS tell you about? I want you to put that in the chat. What does it, what doesn't your GPS tell you about that really, really matters? So our GPS tells us how far we have to go, potentially when we might arrive. What are some things that it doesn't ask us or it doesn't tell us? So let me ask you this question. When was the last time your GPS asked you who you had in the car with you? Does it ask you why you're making the trip, as someone pointed out in the chat? Does it ask you if they have a bad back or if they might need medical attention? Does it ask you if you have very young children who may not be you know, very patient, but and you might have to have sort of off-ramps unexpectedly? Well, who's along on the journey with you and why you're making the trip matters? So if all we do is we look at what we are doing, where we have to go, how to interpret this, uh, all this information through technology, but we lose sight of who we are making the trip for and who we want to make sure is not only along on this journey, 
but actually has a good experience and grows through it. That's partially one of the things I want us to talk about. So equitable practices and intersections, we wanna make sure that we don't just focus on equity. We don't just focus on pedagogy and content and technology and assessment. So that EPCAT, I live in Orlando, so Epcot is a place close by. So equity, pedagogy, content, assessment, and technology is we wanna make sure that we attend to all of these through equitable teaching practices. We're gonna come back to this diagram shortly. If you have thoughts, again, remember, feel free to put them uh, uh, using my, uh, my Twitter handle, at Fashid Safi. And I would love to be able to engage with you during the session as well as following the session. But the five equity-based teaching mathematics practices, I want you to take maybe uh, about 20 seconds. What part of these five equity-based teaching mathematics practices resonate with you? What stands out? Firm mathematics learners' identities to engage and to promote student participation and value different ways of contributing. Notice that identities are crucial. Our identities as educators, as teachers, but also the identities of our students and our colleagues. We know we have to go deep with the mathematics. We know conceptual understanding is crucial. We know we have to make sure our students um, start with conceptual understanding and get to procedural fluency. But also, as Lebo points out in the chat, multiple resources of knowledge. So we have to be able to leverage multiple mathematical competencies. We have to be able to draw on multiple resources of knowledge. And that includes the mathematics, but also the language, the culture, the family. This is why on every slide, you sort of have a, a little, um, the banner on the side to remind you of at least in my case, you have a cultural sort of memento on the side. And at the bottom right where I put my name, that's my first language, so I still have that there. And remember that to challenge spaces of marginality, and often, all too often, our students are almost multiply marginalized. So we need to value multiple mathematical contributions and then position our students as sources of expertise. We need to value their brilliance. So a couple of more uh, resources and references for you. If you're interested in equitable mathematics teaching practices, uh, Tanya Bartel and her colleagues, they have this wonderful article that they expand on different ways that we can attend to equitable mathematics teaching practices. I've just highlighted some for you as far as making sure we draw on students' funds of knowledge, positioning our students as capable, and also how students position each other. What are some norms for participation in our classrooms? Are we attending explicitly to race and culture and the beautiful, the beautiful complexities of race and culture? Do we value discourse and language? How is it that we think about success? What kind of students' mathematical thinking is actually attended to and leveraged? Is that done equitably? And then support the development of a sociopolitical disposition. We're gonna talk about that in connection to mathematical literacy. But we know it's about identity, right? So 
that's connected to people and representation matters. So the picture up top, you see uh, me, my wife, and my son and daughter. And then you also see my parents because it matters who teaches us certain things, who teaches us how to value identity in others and how to elevate, how to engage, how to empower. So whether we have opportunities, at the bottom left, you see one of the first classes I ever taught in. I won't tell you how far ago but, uh, or how long ago, but the, uh, the washed jeans and the t-shirt might tell you, so you can sort of do a little study for yourself. Whether we're teaching prospective teachers, as you see in the uh, bottom left, whether we're teaching STEM majors, whether we're teaching um, future elementary teachers, whether we're teaching liberal arts majors, whether we're engaging students in elementary, middle, high, secondary students, post-secondary students, people and representation matters. I wanna show you a few glimpses of that in ways that we support students, teachers, and communities. Teachers, our colleagues, they teach us how things work potentially even better based on different contexts, based on different things that they have tried. And so we need to make sure that we continue to learn and grow together. Webinars like this assist in making sure that our professional development continues. So the picture at the top left is a professional development session where me as a teacher educator, I continue to contribute, but also learn from classroom teachers. The picture on the right, these are some of my doctoral students that I have an opportunity to learn with and share in their brilliance, but also learn from everything that makes them who they are. They also teach me how to engage more effectively in equitable teaching practices. And at the bottom, you see my good colleague and uh, brother from another mother, uh, Dr. George Roy. He also teaches me how to think about equity in new ways and how to leverage people's uh, abilities and the ways that we can value their identity. Sometimes we have opportunities to engage with communities of teachers over several years. So this is a group of teachers out in California that I had a chance to learn and grow with through professional development. They have taught me wondrous things about how to do equitable teaching. This next one is about, again, supporting students, teachers, and communities. This one happens to be in Quebec, in Canada. Valuing people knows no boundaries but we still attend to the mathematics. We still attend to the equity. We still attend to the pedagogy. We use formative assessment and we use technology, not one or the other, but all of them simultaneously. So we're gonna keep thinking through how equitable teaching practices help us to support students, teachers, and communities. But also we wanna make sure that we de-silo these efforts in equity, pedagogy, content, assessment, and technology. How do we do it? prior to instruction, during instruction, and following instruction. So sometimes you see two, sort of two pictures like this. What are some immediate thoughts that you have when you see this picture? Put that in the chat for me, please. What do you notice? What do you wonder?
So are those people in the picture on the left or are those buildings? If you're familiar and you use some context clues, you might actually see that um, the space on the left feels confined and the picture on the right seems open. Space is important, someone says. And then Nolan, hey Nolan, um, good colleague out in California. So um, different perspectives of the same place. So multiple perspectives matter. So if you look at it as you're engaged from the ground level, you might actually experience this part in Central Park in New York City. But if you look at it from above, it gives you a whole other perspective. It tells you sort of the zoomed in and the zoomed out where different things are, but you it's not one or the other, it has to be both. And then expertise matters. When I've shown this to my students, sometimes they say, wait a minute, that picture on the left needs to be rotated because the top of it is actually the, south, the southern part of Central Park. Our students are brilliant. They understand rotation and reflection and mathematical thoughts and mathematical strategies. We just have to make sure equitably in a connected, coherent fashion, we provide these opportunities. I want you to look at this um, picture that we have created, but identity is complex. Sometimes we tend to race, gender, sexual orientation, but I want you to take a look at some of the factors that we have related to the complexities of identity. Put in the chat, what's one or two things that maybe resonate with you that maybe you hadn't thought about recently? What are one or two things related to the complexities of identity that you see? So if you notice, we've already touched on language. Think about our students. Think about how unique our identities are. Think about the role of culture, the role of health. During the past two years, we can't help but think about health and public health. The health of our families are um, those who take care of our students. But also we have to think about what happens to communities. What happens through natural events? What happens through absolutely unnecessary and cruel events? But also think about security and national stability. It is always all around us. It's a matter of if we focus on it. I'm appreciating what people are putting in the chat related to democratic engagement. So mathematical literacy has a lot to do with that. We're going to talk about that tonight and hopefully uh, much after tonight. But also, I am seeing in the chat socioeconomic diversity. But think about all of these factors. Think about nation of origin. Think about immigration status. Think about your students who, whose immigration status for themselves or for their families and loved ones impact what they do every single day. Housing, as Libra points out, we take that for granted. All of these things connect to the identity of our students, our colleagues, and also the way that we engage 
with our students. So if you were to keep going, let's see. We wanna make sure that rehumanizing is a goal. So we've talked about these equitable practices and how intersections matter. These are some resources, right? So I, I showed you a part of taking action, but also reflecting the world, catalyzing change, high school mathematics lessons to explore, understand, and respond to social injustice. These are mathematics education texts and resources that help to inform me. But I also don't want you to lose sight of the fact that the picture on the left also continues to resonate with me. The mathematical connections as teachers is crucial for us to know about connections and coherence. But then so is poetry, culture, traditions, stories and storytellers, and people who are modern day prophets, people who set out to make the world better. Let's get a little more specific with the mathematics and how do we do equitable teaching practices with our students. So we need to draw on students' funds of knowledge. So instead of starting with, say, geometry topics and say, well, in your textbook, this is section 6.1, relate to places, traditions, stories, and people and places that are in our communities. Mathematics is beautifully interwoven in everything all around us. So when I gave this to a group of my students and I said, what mathematical aspects do you notice? Everything from angles to symmetry, to patterns, to shapes and colors, right? To architecture, then mathematics doesn't stay in a silo. Mathematics becomes something that we attend to, we notice all around us. So again, we wanna keep thinking about how do we go deep with mathematics? while actually affirming mathematic learners' identities. But by going deep with the mathematics, well, it's not only what we notice our students doing and thinking, recording and sharing, but what choices do we make as educators, as teachers? Whose voice do you elevate in your classroom? Whose mathematical representation? Whose thinking, whether it is nearly complete, whether it is in progress, whether some aspect of it helps that student or another pocket of students in your classroom, how do you make those choices equitably? Do we only elevate the voices of students who linguistically are fluent and then leave the brilliance of a different percentage of our students just on the side. So to show how our students might think about multiplication, notice that it involves different approaches, but it also involves having the opportunity to go deep with the mathematics while leveraging the brilliance of our students, the different strategies that they have. But we have to know to look for it. Think of that driving analogy a lot of times, it's not what you do. You have to pay attention to what goes on around you to be able to not only be careful, but also to attend to it strategically and intentionally. 
But by doing that, then students are able to build on each other's ideas. And then technology can play a role. Yes, technology can play a role in bringing about more equitable teaching practices and allowing our students to have access to things, to be able to try things, and to know that mathematical thinking is not binary. It's not, I don't have it, now I have it. It's not a light switch. It's not like we're in the dark, all of a sudden the angels start to sing and the mathematics somehow is profoundly visible. It happens along a progression and it happens in very beautiful social and hopefully equitable ways. We did the same thing by insisting that our students actually think individually, but engage in small group work. And then we talk about them in the whole class discussions. So notice at the bottom, these are five students that were grouped together. They played around with a technology applet on GeoGebra, how to explore properties of quadrilaterals. Then we asked them, what did you learn? What questions do you have? How would you use this with students? Because this is a group of prospective teachers. If you provide opportunities, then the brilliance of students can actually come to the forefront. By being able to draw on multiple resources of knowledge, this is that same class, right? But now, that's a very short clip. I don't know if you were able to hear the sound or not, but what I want you to get from that video clip is the fact that the students are learning from each other. We as teachers cannot, should not, be the sole possessor of mathematical information and knowledge. Our students are brilliant. Their experiences matter. So even if you couldn't hear the video, I just want you to kind of see how the students are seated together intentionally, given tasks that have access points and multiple entry points, and they talk their way through, they discuss, they talk about what, you know, uh, how they're developing and understanding, and then we share about that. But also, we have to draw on multiple resources of knowledge. Some of our students need a little more individual think time. Others, they think about things, and then if we choose not to bring that brilliance from the individual and the small group to the whole class discussion, that's on us. To teach equitably, you have to elevate and empower students by recognizing the beauty and the complexity of their identity that sometimes comes through a myriad of different ways. So as teachers, we have to notice more effectively. Again, think of that driving metaphor. In this one, the young lady in the picture at first didn't seem very confident because English is her second language. She's brilliant because for the rest of the term, given the right um, focus and equitable teaching practices, then 
the students learn from each other. So you may not be able to see, but this is a group of prospective elementary teachers looking at different ways that you can think through a subtraction problem. And if you recognize, this is just last term, just a few months ago, that given everything that we're going through, we can still manage this. We can attend to student identity and equitable teaching practices. And sometimes what I want you to notice is in this picture, I'm standing on the side listening. We don't need to speak first. Sometimes you have to make sure that you're out of the way so that students have experiences so that they talk to each other and inform each other. How does it connect with mathematical literacy? Well, mathematical literacy is defined to be an individual's capacity to reason mathematically, formulate, employ, and interpret mathematics to solve problems in a variety of real world contexts. Notice it connects directly to the concepts, procedures, facts, and tools to describe, explain, and predict phenomena. My favorite sentence is this last one. It assists individuals to know the role that mathematics plays in the world and to make the well-founded judgments and decisions needed to be constructive, engaged, and reflective citizens constructive, engaged, reflective. Mathematical experiences directly influence that. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to see what you notice and what you wonder. If there are 14 students who are face-to-face, -face, represented by these hearts, and there were 10 students that were attending remotely, represented by these 10. What do you notice and what do you wonder? Put that in the chat, please. Hmm. They're all hearts. They seem to be different colors. And then the colors seem to be close to the same ratios. Let's find out. What if I were to tell you that you're going to have a uh, class decision and the whole group gets a vote in scenario one? So you have 14 students and 10 students. The entire group gets a vote. And then the majority decision wins. That could be one scenario. And so this would be synchronous in the same class. Uh, somebody raised that point. So you have 14 students face-to-face, -face, another 10 students attending remotely, but synchronously. What if instead of that scenario one, you had a second scenario, scenario 2A or 2B? What if you divided them into two smaller groups, that the face-to-face -face group gets a vote, and then the remote group gets a vote? What if it's a third scenario? What if you decided to divide the various students into three smaller groups and each group gets a vote? What if you kept going? What if you further subdivided into smaller and smaller groups? 
how does that representation and mathematical reasoning come together? You asked in the chat, so let's include that. So the color of the hearts represent the race and ethnicity of this particular group of students, whether they're identified as African-American, Hispanic, white, Asian Pacific Islander, or American Indian. So if that's what you have, think again about the scenarios. What happens if the whole group gets a vote, but you lumped everyone together and the majority got to decide? What happens if you further subdivided them? What are the life implications? We talk about the math implications, but what are the connections to identity? What thoughts are going on in your mind right now? Put that in the chat. What are the connections to teaching and learning mathematics based on this context that you're given? What happens when you intentionally, purposefully, go through and then subdivide groups of people? We think about fairness, right? We think about representation and how are those decisions made? What is the mathematics involved with that? Well, the mathematical thinking that it takes, the mathematical literacy that is needed is exactly in the standards that we have. So even though this is kind of small, that you need to have a sense of number and operations with fractions. You need to have a sense of what happens with not just fractions, but also ratios and equivalent fractions. So I'm just showing you that at least based on this coherence map, you can see things that are drawn from third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. But to be able to analyze the situation more thoroughly, to be able to make judgments, like the mathematical literacy definition that we talked about, all of these concepts then extend from third and fourth and fifth all the way through sixth and seventh. That one task related to representation Remember multiple perspectives? We need to think about what happens in the smaller zoomed in version, what is happening within one group, what is happening globally. Now I want you to think about, I gave you an example that's connected to the identity, but I only gave you information about the race and ethnicity, but consider representation and inclusion. Think about the decisions and equitable teaching what about gender identity? What about language? Imagine if the quote unquote majority of the students were English language learners. What kind of literature would we read in this class? What are the possibilities by being more equitable and being intentionally committed 
to equitable teaching practices? What happens if you actually had information related to representation and inclusion, to neurodiversity, to religion, to immigration status, and on and on and on, similar to that diagram that we shared with you earlier? My very good friend, uh, Dr. Jennifer Wolf and I, we wrote um, a, a book chapter called Majority in Context. This understanding of what happens with representation and what happens when you want to understand and you need to understand as a part of mathematical literacy, we experienced that in the Supreme Court. You have nine people. What constitutes majority? There's a lot of mathematical understanding there. But also, what happens if you scale that up? What happens in the US Senate when you have 100? We know one vote matters. We have now heard and seen how crucial that is in determining the fate of communities nationally and potentially internationally. What constitutes majority and how do we need to understand mathematics, context, and issues related to equity? What happens if now you continue to zoom back out and you th think about the context if it's the House of Representatives? How representatives or how representative is the US House of Representatives? To make sense of that, you have to understand things like ratio, proportion, power, change, number sense, probability, modeling different scenarios, but you also have to understand identity. So if you want to understand how diverse, say the Congress is, it connects to going deeper with the mathematics, but making sure that we actually leverage these different competencies, but also to affirm learners' identities. But the relevant contexts and the mathematical connections are inherently together with our equitable teaching practices. That's why I wanted us to think about that diagram with the intersections of equity, pedagogy, content assessment, and technology. But to think about representatives of people, think about the seventh grade standard. That we understand that statistics can be used to gain information about a population by examining a sample of the population. Thinking about generalizations. Thinking about random sampling. And are they actually representative samples? And do they support valid inferences? So here's that look again at the coherence map. Mathematical literacy, equitable teaching practices in this context sort of spans from fifth grade all the way through high school. This is why this session is sort of K-12. The foundations begin in elementary and we extend them all the way through K through 12. The equitable teaching practices that we spoke of takes not just a commitment, but also an enactment. We have to put it into practice. We have to make sure we draw on students' funds of knowledge, attending explicitly to race and culture and language and different uh, students' mathematical thinking. When you think representative, a lot of us have maps. We've seen maps, but are we counting land 
are we actually focused on the people? That's not a subtle point. So this map is a good visual that kind of shows the people that reside in different parts. But the size is the world population. In this case, this is in 2018. In terms of the population, the people in those countries. This is another graphic related to language, right? There's so much mathematics, but there's so much connected to mathematical literacy that we could explore. But if you look, this is English in the world, right? Think about all the other languages, traditions, cultures, stories, people. Think about your students. Think about your communities. Think about the role that equitable teaching practices plays in elevating, engaging, and empowering our students. I want to show you this example because we've talked about how diverse is the US Congress. But I sort of want to fast forward because more and more, we talk about mathematics being connected to analysis and to logic and to sense making. It's supposed to be that the voters determine who our politicians and representatives are, who determine the policies. Now look at the reality. This is why mathematical literacy is so crucial. But now politicians and policies related to gerrymandering, to redlining, who can vote, who has access. That tends to determine who can vote. In mathematics, we talk about conditional statements and what is logically equivalent and what is different. That mathematical literacy piece, that impacts every single one of our communities with profound ways. I want to show you one other connection to mathematical modeling. Because all too often in mathematics, teaching and learning, we decouple context from content. Mathematical modeling says, hang on, here's a process that uses mathematics to represent and to analyze and to make predictions, but to also make sure that these ideas stay married together. So we link mathematics and authentic real world questions. And that is that central point of intersection between mathematics and this natural and increasingly the social world. One of the examples that I wanna share with you is another collaboration. So my good colleague that I introduced you to in the beginning, City Decide, Brianna Kurtz and Alina Bassian and I, we just finished writing this book chapter that's uh, talking about shifting away from unjust representations, analyzing census data and connections to gerrymandering. Hopefully this will come out in a math and action book intended for 9-12 later on this year. But by engaging students in mathematical literacy, look at the all the notions that are involved from representation to redistricting to gerrymandering to elections, the representatives that are sort of coming through these elections and how they impact politics and policies and how they influence systemic 
and other systematic issues that happen. So we said, okay, well, based on representation, then we have census data. Based on the census data, people come up with redistricting plans. Based on that, then different states go through and they gerrymander intentionally to get at the conclusions that they want. These are the systemic practices and policies. This is why mathematical literacy is important. So through a task sequence, we asked students to analyze census data. Is it actually representative of people and communities? How do we predict population patterns? Census data sends, happens every 10 years. And even if we were to suppose that it is accurate, we know better. It is always running behind. So for at least the better part of a decade, policies and practices fall short of representing people and communities and their interests. So how do we connect the use of census data to redistricting considerations? And then how do we reflect on this role of mathematical modeling? Look at all the factors, access, inclusion, data analysis, everything from global health to equity. All of these are inside of this mathematical modeling uh, series of tasks. So we engage students in this mathematical literacy effort to have them see, for instance, I live in the state of Florida. Um, and so for instance, based on the state of Florida, look at the party affiliation versus the Florida representatives in the US House of Representatives. Or can we write a function to predict the population in Florida for say 2021 and 2030 based on the 2020 census? How accurate was the US census in predicting what the population would be just one year later or where it might be in 2030? How do we equitably engage our students in mathematical literacy so yes, we go deep with the content, but also we context and content stay together. Mathematical understanding helps to support their sense making of how do we predict the, um, the population change. And then we ask them to look at specific counties. Can they analyze data? Can they be sense makers and not just calculators of numbers? Our world, our communities need thinkers, analyzers, sense makers. Mathematics is so much more than just doing calculations. And based on that, what are the potential districts? We took the example of Central Florida because our group of students can connect to that and understand the changes that are happening. But that's not unique to any one region or any one state, but the sense-making should be common all the way across. High school students, their brilliance by being able to bring diverse perspectives, diverse traditions, diverse lived experiences, allows us to actually get to all of these points.
But again, it is the five equity-based teaching mathematics practices. Getting to go deep with mathematics, whether this happens in a small group, in a, in a classroom setting, or whether we have the opportunity to actually engage colleagues in how to do this effectively through professional development. All of us learn and grow together in how to challenge spaces of marginality, how to affirm mathematics learners with identities, how to leverage multiple mathematical competencies, how to draw on multiple resources of knowledge. As a teacher, what do you look for? What do you hear? What do you see? What is thought but not written? What can be gestured but maybe not said out loud? How do we tap into students' knowledge and experiences as resources for mathematical learning? That's why we're talking about these equitable teaching practices. And again, it's math, baby. Mathematical literacy matters if we're going to actually be able to make change happen to improve the conditions of our people and our communities. So what I'd like for you to do is to remember to actually be able to think through and develop mathematical literacy through equitable teaching practices. It takes hope. It takes awareness. It also takes love, love of people, love of communities, and love of learning. But it also needs action. So we need all of these to be able to address, to be able to confront, and to be able to work together within our educational efforts and beyond our educational efforts towards justice. So what I'd like for you to do is you have um, my contact information. I'd like for you to, in the chat, put maybe like one or two thoughts that have resonated with you from tonight's talk. What's something that you might tell a colleague about tomorrow or when you watch this or when you listen to this? Put that in the chat for me, please. If you have questions, questions are welcome too. So what's one thing, one or two things that may have resonated with you? Or if you have a question or curiosity. No one is raising a good point about thinking about lesson planning, beginning with students rather than our textbook. If we focus on the people, right? Mathematics can be engaging and relevant. If our curriculum, if our textbook does that sufficiently and through enough supplements we can do that, fantastic. If not, our students know what they care about. Our job is to engage them in that. Marion's talking about challenging spaces of marginality. And again, remember, thank you for that. Many of our students sort of go through being multiply marginalized. 
Mary points out the idea to collaborate um, with different teachers, like civics teachers. That's actually one of the things that we are getting ready to do is to think about the fact that real world problems and real world issues are transdisciplinary. They're not just mathematical. They might be mathematical uh, and scientific and involve social studies and involve literature, right? So collaboration is the way to go. Sandra's pointing out identity matters 100%. Lee was pointing out students are resources of learning for one another. Yes, absolutely. We are not the only ones with approaches, information, and strategies that are effective. Let's empower our students by valuing and making their brilliance visible in our classrooms. One of the questions is, how can we help administrators see that this matters when it is not on a state test? Good test scores drive school rankings, which drive property values, which drive tax revenues. Very true. When we want, when students are engaged, they care about their learning because it connects with them and their communities. We have done this through professional development efforts throughout North America. And when our teachers are engaged in equitable teaching practices and we value our students, their test scores do indicate that because then it's not somebody else's mathematics. It's actually sense-making and reasoning done in equitable ways. We can do this together and then administrators are also there to support, but it's a lot easier to support when you see it in action. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Please make sure you continue to stay in touch. So again, uh, my name is Farshid Safi and feel free to stay in touch through Twitter at Farshid Safi. Thank you very much for uh, sharing tonight, Dr. Safi. Um, definitely good ideas to uh, think about um, <laughs> for a while, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, so uh, next week, uh, or actually not next week, two weeks from now on March 8th, um, we are going to be having Eli Luberoff from Desmos uh, share with us. And the title of his talk is, If You Let Your Students Surprise You, They Will. So practices which... Um, encourage students to share, and um, I think that'll be an exciting uh, talk. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful evening, afternoon, or morning, depending on where you are in the world. Mm -hmm. So long. <laughs>